Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, uh, we don't want to just run ahead. We don't want to just go to the next part of the service, God. We want to just stop and reflect and acknowledge and humble ourselves, God, under that truth that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. And under that name, before that name, one day very soon, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What a day that will be. What a day that will be. Every sacrifice will be worth it in that moment. We will see it. We will see you face to face. Every time you call us to take up your cross and follow you, oh Lord, it will be worth it. And Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, now that right now you would remove distraction from this place and you would continue to stir up great affection in our hearts, great hunger, great desire for you and that day. Help us to live in light of that day. And so, Lord, I pray right now that whatever people have come from this week, whatever uh, anxieties or fears or weariness they may be carrying, that we just be able to cast that at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Say, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will not allow the righteous to be moved. May it be so. Give us ears to hear now and humble ourselves under the authority of your word. Not not listening in pride or rejecting that, but receiving, receiving and being fed. Oh God, would you do a great refreshing, strengthening, breaking, sanctifying and saving work here today. In Jesus' name, unite your church for your glory. Church, if you agree, say amen. Amen, you may be seated. Well, praise the Lord uh, that we get to come together. I love, just got a glimpse there again of why Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 say, don't forsake meeting together, but all the more as you see the day, that day approaching. Why? Because we just got a little glimpse and we're getting more of a glimpse of heaven right here. Every tribe, tongue, and nation calling on his name. Well, two weeks ago, loved ones, we started in our fall series on the Gospel of John, part one. As you know, this series is going to extend over the next few years, and we're going to do each part moving forward. And you're going to see why very shortly, if you didn't two weeks ago, you're going to see why we're going slowly, verse by verse, line by line, through this book. It is rich, it is clarifying, and remember the purposes as to why John writes this book is not only evangelistic, but also apologetic. It's giving a defense of the faith, but also getting great clarity to the foundations of our faith. Because why? It's getting back to the heart of the gospel. And so you say, well, why, why the Gospel of John? There's 66 books in the Bible. Why do Gospel of John for this? Well, let me remind you of the purpose of the book. It's the very heart itself of this book. You'll see it on the screen. John 20, 31 says this, but these are written. That means these truths, this testimony and this gospel is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. To believe 
and to receive. And so today we are going to continue to learn what it means to believe that Jesus is the Christ and have life in his name. We looked at verses 1 to 5 two weeks ago and now we are looking at verses 6 to 13 about living in his name as a child of God. And so the title of this morning's message is Children of God. If you do not have a Bible in front of you, please make sure you grab one from our ushers that are coming forward right now. Just put your hand up and they would love to put one in your lap so you can follow along. And if you do not have a copy of God's word at home, please take that as a gift so you can continue to study and grow in the Lord in your time at home. Children of God. Well, that begs the question, okay, If the purpose as to why John is writing this book is that we may believe and have life in him, that is to live as children of God in him, what's a child of God? I mean, if you've been around the church at all, you hear that, we're all children of God, and we're doing that. What what is actually a child of God? What does it mean to be a true child of God? What beliefs are our hearts saturated in and anchored to if that's true in our lives what are the convictions that we are called to hold to that are non-negotiable what is the impact on the life of a child of God what does that mean in the impact of their life what is the standing that we have before God if we are a true child of God what does that mean Well, John, by the grace of our Lord, gives us clarity on all of this today. And you say, but why is this even important? I mean, aren't we all God's children? Just a moment. Here's why this is important to nail down now. Because there's a problem. And that problem is that we live in a world that is rampant in the deception of what a true child of God actually is. Don't believe me? Okay, I did some research this week. Did some research. Okay, Okay. thumbs up if this is true, thumbs down if this is false. Ready? Get your thumbs ready. Here we go, loved ones. All right, quotes. I am God's child because I'm made in God's image. True or false? I am God's child because I'm made in God's image. False. Every person is made in the image of God, but not every person is a true child of God. Distinction number one. Okay, number two. I am a child of God, therefore I do not inherit sickness. True or false? I got sick last week. (laughs) Okay, next, next, next. You believe what you believe, and I'll believe what I believe, because we're all children of God. True or false? False. Next one. Because I'm a child of God, literally, I wish I could say I was kidding about any of these. This is true. Because I'm a child of God, I am greater than anything that can happen to me. True or false? Who's greater? Just check 1 John 4, 4. He who is in me is greater. See the deceptions that are happening here? And this is just a snapshot. I was actually stunned. You don't have to look very far. See, all of these things tickle the ears of man, loved ones, but they do nothing. They do nothing that resembles the truth of our Lord. So what is a child of God then? I love how J.I. Packer puts this very simply. You'll see it on the screen. The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a child of God is one who has God as their 
Father. And this is what we will unpack today. This is what John is unpacking in these seven verses. And so here in the text, John makes it clear about who a true child of God is and who has the one true God as their father. And although the life of a child of God is one of ongoing pursuit of the Lord, and there are so many dynamics to that, John here gives us two non-negotiable distinctions. Not, like honestly, loved ones, non-negotiable. You're going to draw a line in the sand on these two things, all right, of where it all starts that must mark the life of every person who claims to be a child of God and have life in his name. These two foundational truths are the foundation of everything else that is going to follow in the life of a child of God. You ready? Ready? To honor the authority of God's word, let's stand as we read starting in verse 6. John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Profound, profound truth. So clear right there. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, the first thing we see here in the first four verses is this. If I am a child of God... I believe God's testimony about Jesus Christ. If I am a true child of God, I believe God's testimony about Jesus Christ. Key truth for this section, if I could say it in a sentence, is this. There is one God and he's given one testimony. There is one God and he's given one testimony. Look at verses 6 to 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Let's get some context of what the scene is here. For the last 400 years, up until this point, there has been silence. God has been silent since the last time that any record of him speaking to his people was given. The last record of God speaking to his people was the last verses of the book of Malachi, 430 BC. And so up to this point, there is no record of God speaking to his people. And now all of a sudden, that ends. That ends. The silence ends by God sending his prophet, John, and beginning the New Testament. And this is actually what the final verses of Malachi prophesied him coming. Okay, They were speaking of John the Baptist coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. And here he is in the power of God. Now, now something, remember from our introduction sermon, John uh, never mentions, John the writer, the apostle of this, of the writer of this book, he never mentions himself by name. Okay, he's, no, he's affectionately referred to himself as, as the disciple whom Jesus loves. So every time you see John in this book, he's referring to John the Baptist, unless otherwise specified. Okay, now, who is John the Baptist? There's a man sent from God. That means he's commissioned by God with a message, given God's authority. There's a picture of what we think John the Baptist looked like. 
Okay, let's get a little character sketch. You'll see it on the screen because we're going to unpack John's life over the next few weeks. All right, he lived in the wilderness. He lived in the wilderness. And the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are filling in the details for this, okay? He lived in the wilderness by the Jordan River near the Jordan Valley on the east side of the river. And so he's not in the big cities, all right? He's not sitting in the, in the courts and he's not with the learned. He's out in the wilderness. I love who God chooses, right? When the kingdom of heaven, the way up is always down. Less is always more. Amen. Amen. So here he is living in the wilderness. He's got a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt that he wore. Not exactly your fashuendo of the day. He's wearing camel's hair and a leather belt. Well, this is, I don't know about you, what you had for breakfast this morning, but here's what he had. He ate locusts and wild honey. There he is munching on a locust in that picture, by the way. You know what a locust is? It's like a grasshopper. So here he is in the wilderness eating locusts and honey. Matthew 3, 4 tells us that. And then here he is. He's the son of the priest Zechariah and wife Elizabeth. So when you hear the Christmas story and the coming of John, Luke chapter 1 unpacks Zechariah just so beautifully. All right? Here's another one. He's the cousin of Jesus Christ. He's the cousin of Jesus Christ. He began his ministry when he's about 30 years old. Okay? Began his ministry, he's 30 years old. He's known as the, the forerunner of Jesus. Who, what was his message? He proclaimed the need for repentance from sin and announced the coming Messiah. He went before Jesus to proclaim and to prepare the people to receive Jesus. And he's preaching a, a message of repentance and getting our hearts right before the Lord and he baptized in repentance. Here he is. He baptized Jesus Christ. He baptized Jesus Christ in that amazing moment where Jesus comes out of the water and the sky is part and they hear the, the voice of the Father saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And you see the Holy Spirit descending like it up. What a beautiful picture of the Trinity. All three persons of the Godhead right there. Beautiful. John was a witness to this. And so God sends him. And that's just a snapshot. We'll unpack John's life as we continue to go. But his mission, the reason he was commissioned and sent by God was to be the witness. Now the word witness there in the Greek means one who testifies, who's giving testimony. Okay, he's giving testimony about, what does it say? About the light. About the light, verse 7. Now what light is he talking about? Well, we looked at that two weeks ago. In him was life, and that life was the light of, and in him was light, and life was the light of man. And so he's talking about the word of God. Who's the word of God? He's talking about Jesus Christ. What is the light? The light is the genuine revelation of God to man. The light of the world. The true one who reveals who God is to man. And why? Why did he do all this? We see that. That all may believe in Christ. That all may believe in the word and be saved. And when we talk about believe there, when he says believe in verse 7, he's not talking about, hey, yeah, I know about Jesus. I know some stuff about the Bible. The word believe there implies something much more intimate, something more deeper, and it is having saving faith and belief in him that all may believe, not just know about Jesus, but believe in him, that he is the savior. And notice here in verse eight that John repeats himself. It says, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. That is such an important distinction for 
John in this day and for us today. Why? Because it made clear that John the Baptist was not the light. He was not the revelation of God to man. He was not the Savior, Jesus Christ, but he came to proclaim the message of the Savior. He came to proclaim the truth of Jesus so people would believe through the message. John's not the Savior. And there was some serious tension and discord about this in the eyes of people. They thought he was the Messiah. Okay, And so John's going to great lengths to repeat himself here, saying that's not the case. There's only one light. If I could sum up John the Baptist's ministry, it would be this. You'll see it on the screen. God sent John into the world to tell us who Jesus was, here it is, and that we need to make a life-defining decision about Jesus Christ. God sent John into the world to tell us who Jesus was and that we need to make a life-defining decision about Jesus Christ. He was the instrument. John was the instrument for delivering God the Father's own testimony about who his son was. What a responsibility. He was the instrument for declaring what God wanted said about who his son was, the light of the world. And so you look around today, loved ones, you look around today, there's so many quote-unquote testimonies saying who Jesus Christ is. There are some people, some religions that will say he's the highest of angels. He's a created being. There are some that say he's just one of many gods, one of many lights, one of many revelations of God. There are some who will say he's just a prophet, he's just a man, he's just a moral teacher, he's a created being, but he's not God. He may have had God's power, but he's not God. He's just a mode of God. He's not a distinct person, yet fully God. We have lots of these testimonies, but yet we must understand this, loved ones. There is only one true God, and one true testimony that he's given as his witness for who Jesus Christ truly is. There's only one true God, only one true testimony. So the question isn't, has God made it clear who Jesus Christ truly is? The question is, will you believe God's testimony about him? We can receive it, or we can reject it. And you may ask, well, who does God... Okay. Who does God testify that Jesus Christ actually is? I would encourage you to listen to the message two weeks ago, the last message in this series, because this is carrying on from that. What we see here, and we're going to be faithful to the text and what this text is speaking of, so we're going to identify three things. Who does God testify Jesus Christ truly is? And every true child of God will believe this. Every true child of God will believe in this. It says, number one, he's the true light. He is the true light. Look at verse nine. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. There's God's first testimony about his son. He is the true light. Jesus Christ, the son of God, is the genuine and ultimate revelation of God to man. Jesus Christ is the genuine and ultimate revelation of God to man. He is given to, now notice where he says, the true light which gives light to everyone. What does that mean? He's giving light to everyone. He's given to everyone in a general revelation where each person has been given light or the truth of God 
on their hearts and around them in creation to either accept him or reject him. And this general revelation where God is sending the light into the world is displayed through creation and also on our hearts in a moral conscience. Okay? So it's given to everyone. Everyone who is born has a moral conscience. Everyone who is born is part of creation and is surrounded by creation. And God is revealing himself. You say, well, that's a big statement. How do we know? Praise the Lord, he tells us. It's like he knew we'd have these questions, eh? Romans chapter one, verses 19 to 20, you see it on the screen. For what can be known about God? There's the true light. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them, them being humanity. For his invisible attributes, mainly his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they, humanity, every person who ever lived for all time is without excuse. They know there's a God. All of creation shouts, there is a God. This is his handiwork. Without excuse. Well, you know what? That's shuddering, eh? Without excuse. One day, every single person in this room will stand before God without an excuse. Every person you see walking down the street, I revealed myself. Enough of the true light has been given to each person in creation, and we'll see in a moment in our moral consciences, where they can know that there is a God. And they need to receive him. And so that's the creation piece God's handiwork all around. Isn't it amazing? You just, have you ever just stood at like on the Ottawa River or have you ever just stood at a waterfall or you're looking up in these mountains or even driving here today, the beautiful tapestry of leaves all around and, you, and there's just something that happens to you like that is gorgeous. And it was so funny because I remember people were, uh, they're saying, well, I'm in an office and, and I don't, I don't think I really believe that. And I said, what's your screensaver? And they said, oh, it's this beautiful beach picture. I'm like, enough said. Enough said. Creation reveals the glory of God. Creation reveals the true light. Jesus Christ, who is the creator, we will see in a moment. But he doesn't stop there. God also, that's the external, but he also puts it internally into the moral conscience of our hearts. Look at Romans 2, 14 to 15. For when the Gentiles, that is non-believers, who do not have the law by nature... Do what the law requires, what God is asking for, the law of God, the word of God. They show that the work of the law is written. The word of God is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. When they do, when people will do by nature, they will act in certain ways that God says is right. Where did they get that from? Non-believers. If, if I were to say and take a straw poll in this room right now that if you went to your neighbor's house and broke in and hurt his family, would you say it's wrong or right? Uh, let's all say that together. Wrong. That is wrong. How do you know? What is your standard for right and wrong? See how John's the apologist here? Apologetics. What's your standard for right and wrong? Well, I just know it's wrong. Where'd you get it from? Because if Jesus Christ is not the true light, here's the reality. There is no standard for right and wrong. And right and wrong will be whatever you and I want it to be. And as you see the world around us that is constantly trying to reject and harden our consciences to the word of God, how's that working out for the world? 
You try to remove God out of the equation, make up your own standards of what right or wrong is, and there's, you just flip on the news. Brokenness, suffering, hurting, torment. And you can sear your conscience by rejecting the moral conscience God has put inside of you that adheres to his law, but it's there in every person. Who does God testify Jesus Christ is? Testimony one, he sent John the Baptist to declare Jesus Christ is the true light, the light of the world, the true light of revelation of God. Number two, Jesus Christ is incarnate. He is fully God and fully man. Look at verse nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, we're going to unpack the incarnation in full next week. Yeah, there we go. We're, going to get, we're just going to figure the whole thing out next week, right? But he mentions it here, and so we need to mention it. Fully God and fully man. This highlights the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, coming to earth as fully God and fully man. Here it is. Listen to this beautiful truth. To embody God's truth and save sinners from their sin. He's coming into the world. He's coming into the world. That's why Christmas, spoiler alert, Christmas is my favorite time of year. He's coming. The light of the world is coming. Right? And so here he is, fully God, fully man. And we're going to unpack that more next week, all right? Number three, Jesus Christ is the true light, testimony one. Jesus Christ is incarnate, testimony two. And number three, Jesus Christ is the creator. He is the maker of all things. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. He was in the world. Notice how the light just got a personal pronoun. He mentioned he. He's not talking about light. He's talking about he now. He gives him a personal pronoun. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. See, Jesus Christ, he repeats the truth from verse 3. Last or two weeks ago. Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. Nothing was made without him. He is eternal. He is uncreated. He was at the beginning with God and was God and is God fully. The creator of all things. This is so up for debate now in, in circles today. It's not up for debate with the Lord. Jesus Christ is the creator. He's the agent of God's creation through whom all creation is. Right? Still don't believe me? I love Colossians 1.16. You'll see it at the screen. For by him, speaking of Jesus Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. Remember last two weeks ago, I showed you all those pictures of creation. Isn't it stunning? Stunning. I highly encourage you, when you walk out of here today, just look. Get your awe back and look at creation that screams, there's a God and his name is Jesus Christ. He created me. And it is groaning for what's in store to be redeemed by him. And yet even though the creator himself came to earth, he came to his creation, fully God, fully man, the world did not know him. They were, it means they were spiritually blind to him. And they refuse to believe the truth. I love how Matt Carter, commentator Matt Carmer, Carter, uh, he puts this as an illustration for us. Look at it on the screen. Think about this. Jesus made our eyes, yet we refuse to see his glory. Jesus made our ears, yet we refuse to listen to his words. Are you refusing to listen to his words today? Jesus made our heads, Yet we refuse to bow before him. 
still do today. Question, when you think about that, and you see that on the screen, just leave it up, team. Who is Jesus to you? I don't know where you came from in here today. Maybe you've had some experience with church. Maybe you've had none. Maybe you're a follower of Christ. Maybe you're not. Question, who is Jesus to you? Are you believing God's testimony about him or someone else's? In love, I'm going to say this, loved ones, in love, if you are a true child of God, there is no question about what you believe. You believe God's testimony of who he says his son is. And if you're here and you are a child of God, you've received Jesus Christ, let me ask you this, what are you doing with Jesus What are you doing with him? Are you bearing witness? Are you reflecting the light through your lives by his power in you? Through your words, through your actions. How about this? To your spouse, to your coworkers, to your classmates, students, to your neighbors. How about to your brothers and sisters in the church? Are you reflecting the light of the world by his power in your words and actions and how you speak about them? Because here's the truth. Our behavior will display our beliefs. What you truly believe about Jesus will show through how you behave in regards to him. Lots of people can pay lip service. If I'm a child of God, I believe God's testimony about Christ. And from that, If I am a child of God, it means I have received salvation through Christ. Look at verses 11 to 13. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The key truth for this section is this. God grants salvation through Jesus Christ alone. There is no other way. God grants salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Look at this. John again emphasizes that Jesus Christ through his incarnation, fully God becoming fully man, came to his own creation, but most of his own people. Now he says his own people right there. He's referring to the Jewish people. The Jewish people saw him as their Messiah. He was coming to his own people, the Jewish people, and they didn't receive him. They did not believe him. By believing in his name and putting their faith in him alone as their savior, they didn't receive him, they rejected him. Question, are you? See, and the word believe there in verse 12 means this. They didn't believe in him. It means to accept all that his name declares to be. The name of Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, all authority, one God, one testimony. That's what it means to believe in his name. But to the ones who did receive him, because there were some who did, he gave them all the rights and privileges of becoming a child of God. Now picture this. What this the picture is here that John's speaking of, they, be, they gave them right to become the child. He's picturing adoption. It's adopted as sons and daughters. I love this. He adopted them as his very own children. Now the right there, the Greek word for the word right in verse 12, he gave the right to become children of God. You know what that means? Here it is. Full authority, full standing as his children. 
full authority and full standing as his children and full of his power to act in faith for his glory. Did you get that? There's adoption. There's the adoption of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Full authority, full standing as his children and full of his power to act in faith for his glory and to defeat sin in their lives. See, we must understand this, loved ones. Adoption is not just part of the gospel. It's not an afterthought. It's at the very heart of the gospel. Adoption is at the very heart of the gospel. This is why we get back to the heart. I read this this week, and I wanted to share it with you. I encourage you just to listen. Don't let it be distracted. Just close your eyes and listen. This is, this is the picture of adoption of the gospel. Listen to this. Adoption. An adopted child can do nothing on their own to become part of a family. No desire on their part could connect them with the man and woman who would become their mummy and daddy. Their adoption into a loving family is the result of someone outside of themselves choosing to love them. To receive them and to give them the right to be called their child. Someone had to do for that child what they could not do for themselves. Someone else had to lay down their life for them. That is grace. And that's exactly what happened to us who have believed on the name of of Jesus. We were helpless and hopeless until someone did for us what we could not do for ourselves. God chose, get this, get this, does this not blow your mind today? God chose to love us. He received us to himself and he gave us the right to be called his children if we would receive him. That's grace. What a stunning picture. What does that mean? Let's break it down street level for us. Let's apply this. You have, if you are adopted in Christ, adopted by God, you have a new family in God. And here's great news, which you will never be taken from. Jesus says in John 10, 28, none can snatch them from my hand. You have a new family in God that none can take you from. You have, get this, a new identity from God. You've been given a new identity. Just as an adopted child gets a new identity with this family, you've been given a new identity in Jesus Christ. And now we can say, I am who he says I am, not who the world says I need to be. I am who he says I am, not what my performance says about me. I am who he says I am, not what my kids say about me or how they behave or what other people say about me. I am who he says I am. This is adoption in the family of God, but it gets better. 
We have new intimacy with God. 24-hour access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hey, you want to come to prayer night on Wednesday? There you go. To approach the throne of grace with confidence. To receive mercy and to find help. Why? Because you've been adopted into the family of God. Only a child has 24-7 access to a king. Only the king's child. That's awesome. That's awesome. Nothing touches that. How about this? You've been given new security in God. Your future is secure. And you have no fear of rejection from him. No fear. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on how well you clean yourself up. If you are adopted as a child of God, you have full security in God. He will defend. He will uphold. He will discipline. He will love. He will guide. He will protect. This is your identity as an adopted child of the King of Kings. This is what it means to be a child of God. How about this? How about this? Gets better. I wish I had put all the verses for here on, but that would just, we'd be here till next week, which would be okay. But here's the reality. Here, we have full, full, ready? Full forgiveness from God. The blood, hey, you have full forgiveness for every sin that you have committed that you are engaging in now or you will commit that you don't even know about. You already have forgiveness because the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who cleanses us from our sin and that sin has no power over you. Amen? This is an adopted child of God. Full forgiveness of sin. Come as you are. You might be here today and you be like, I don't know about this Jesus thing. I just get this guy over with this. Looking at your wife. Listen, listen, listen. You can do that. You can choose that if you really want. You have the choice. God will not force himself on you. But I will say this. Today can be the day of your salvation. Do not reject this. You don't clean yourself up. But I've done this. But I've done it. Yeah. But it's not about what you've done. It's about what he's done. New forgiveness, full forgiveness from God. And here, here, here's what all this points to on that day when we see him. Full inheritance with God for eternity that can never be taken. Full inheritance with him for eternity in his presence. Indeed, the psalmist says in Psalm 16, I have a beautiful inheritance. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. This is just a snapshot. And you know what? Hey, here's the beautiful truth, loved ones. You say, well, I'm not perfect, and I'm I'm in Christ, and I'm still stumbling, and I'm still struggling. Listen, and even though you will stumble, even though I will stumble, and at times disobey, in Jesus Christ, my future is secure, and I don't stop being a child of God just because sometimes I'm a problem child. Amen? He looks upon you and says, I love you. That can't cancel out what I've done. That is not, you stop wallowing in that because I'm not wallowing in that. I've given you my power. I've given you full authority. I've given you righteousness of my son. Let's go, son, get up. You're in the family of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Your inheritance can't be taken. Once a child of God, a true child of God, always a child of God. Amen. So you may say this, how do I receive God's salvation? Well, 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 here's again, addressing some distortions. Let's first look, as John says here, at how we don't receive salvation, how we can't be adopted. I cannot be saved through, number one, he gives us two things here. 
I, I cannot be saved through my physical inheritance, which is, or, or heritage, my apologies, my physical heritage. Look at verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13, who were born not of blood. What does that mean, blood? The word blood there is a picture. The Jewish people believe that they, just because they were Jewish, descendants of Abraham, they would have salvation automatically. I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm a, I, I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm going to be saved. Not true. Not true. And it's the same for us today. Listen, loved ones, your family, your racial, your ethnic background cannot save you. It does not matter. Maybe you're here and you're like, I'm good. My parents went to church for 20 years, so I kind of inherited their faith. That doesn't work. It's not by blood. It's not by heritage that you and I are saved. Believing in Jesus Christ is a personal decision that each person must make on their own. Saying, Jesus, I believe God's testimony about you. I believe that you are the only true light of the world. I believe that you came to earth as fully God and fully man and went to the cross for me and was killed and buried and three days again later you rose defeating sin and death for all time and I am separated you from eternity for eternity until I believe and receive. I need you as my Lord and Savior. Until that moment, all the heritage in the world will do you no good. It's just so clear. As A.W. Pink says, commentator A.W. Pink, he says, salvation doesn't run in the veins. It's a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. So question, are you relying on your heritage today? Are you relying on what's been done in the past for you, the family you're from, faith heritage that's been passed on? That's number one, I cannot be saved through my physical heritage. Number two, I cannot be saved through my desires and efforts. I cannot be saved through my desires and efforts. Look at verse 12 and 13 again. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Nor of the will of the flesh or the will of man. What does that mean? It means man earning salvation through, ready for this? Heard this before? Human effort, good works, or having even a passionate determination or desire to do so. The will of man and will of the flesh, the desire. Well, I really want it, so I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to earn this, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to come. Here, here's some classic examples for us. I'm going to go through religious rituals. Like um, church attendance. My church attendance will save me. No, it will not. Um, uh, knowing stuff about the Bible. If I go to small group and memorize a bunch of verses, that will not save you. If I'm infant baptized, that will save me. That will not save you. If I'm fasting and, and going through these other deprecating things in my own life, I'm somehow going to earn favor with God. No, it will not. It will not save you. Human effort, human desire, the flesh will not save you. Or this, white-knuckling, self-effort, try to be good enough. Hey, loved ones, even, even for us as preachers, for us as pastors, there's nothing I can do to change your heart, nothing. I am completely dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to open your heart and eyes. I can do nothing by crafting fancy words. It can do nothing to change your heart. Because look at what Isaiah says. He says, all our righteous deeds, all the good deeds we think we do, what are they like? Filthy rags. 
We cannot do that through self-effort. The sum, you can't save yourself. So question, are you relying on your own efforts today? Are you relying on yourself to try to earn your way to God? It's impossible. It's impossible. How do you know? God tells us. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you'll see it on the screen. For by, there it is, the word grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Receive and believe. Believe and receive. And this is not your own doing. You can't do it, loved one. You can't do it. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. You don't work for a gift. You receive a gift. It is not a result of work so that no one may boast. Loved ones, if I could sum it up, it'd be this. You'll see it on the screen. So powerful. Salvation is a gift to be received, not a reward to be achieved. Salvation is a gift to be received, not a reward to be achieved. And so how do we receive it then? If John's looked at how we don't, how do we? Here it is, through God alone. Through God alone. Look at verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Here it is. But of, say it together, but of God. God. See, John makes it so clear. To receive salvation, we must be born again of God through his son, Jesus Christ. In his sovereignty, born of God. This is a supernatural birth. This is nothing natural about this. This is a supernatural birth. In order to be saved, in his sovereignty, God calls and draws to himself all who are to be saved, and they respond. And they respond in belief by repenting of their sin and confessing him as their Lord and Savior. How do you know that? Look at Romans 10, 9 to 10. Love these verses this week. Here it is. If, if, see that? If, you know why? Because it's a choice. Response. We must respond to him. And God is drawing and God is calling. But we have a response with this too. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and not just, yeah, I need him to be saved so my life can be better, but like, Lord, you are Lord over my life. Every part is surrendered to you. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will, love that promise, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Loved ones, this is the foundation of what it means to be a child of God, right here. To have God as your father by believing his testimony about Christ and by receiving salvation through Christ. Last question for the day is this. Are you a child of God? Just look at the evidence. There it is, clearly spelled out. Are you a child of God? Or are you still striving in your own efforts? Are you still relying on other things? Are you still striving in your unbelief? Today, when you hear his heart, his voice, do not harden your heart. And if you look at that, you see the text so clearly, God speaks, you see it and you're like, I am a child of God. I do believe Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I do believe that. Here's my question for you, loved ones. Are you still in awe that God chose you? That God called you? That he called me? to be his son or daughter and adopted us into his family. Are we still in awe of that?
Do we live in awe of that reality? That changes everything. And the danger is the more familiar we become with the terms, the less impact they have. The truth behind them is dulled so often. Are we still living in awe? What is taking your awe right now away from that most greatest truth in your life? And there's no better way to be reminded of our standing as children of God than by remembering the very act of God that made it all possible. In communion, this coming to the Lord's table is a time to remember Christ's death and sacrifice that he made on the cross over 2,000 years ago to pay the penalty for our sin. The penalty, here's, here's, here's the penalty that you and I deserved and to pay the debt we could not pay. And he suffered and died so that we may receive the forgiveness of sin, be adopted as his children and walk in freedom and in new life in him and the two elements we remember him with first one is this the bread which represents his body which was crushed beyond recognition for you and me and the other element is the juice which represents the blood his blood that was shed to cover every sin we ever have done ever will do or currently engaged in that we may walk in victory over sin and in new life in him. But, sobering warning right here, we're given in scripture. As we come to the table now, scripture commands us that we examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight and 29 says this, let a person examine himself then, so, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So in these next few moments, loved ones, just let's get low and let's get quiet before the Lord. Just close your eyes and get before the Lord and say, search me, O God, and know my heart and test my anxious thoughts and see where the offensive ways are in me. See where the unbelief is. See where the apathy has set in, where I'm not in awe of you anymore and what you've done for me. See where the offensive ways are, where I'm rejecting you in my life, and lead me in the path everlasting. Let's just get a little bit, and let's just get real before our Savior and examine our hearts before him. And as the Lord reveals things in your heart, just take a few moments, loved ones, to confess those to him. There's no spirit of judgment here. There's no spirit of condemnation in this place. A spirit of love. Say, Jesus, I confess this. Give this to you. I want to believe. Help me. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe. I need you. And Forgive me of my sin. And the remembrance of Christ's death through communion as we examine ourselves here, is for those who all have called on the name of the Lord as their Savior, Jesus Christ. And so if that's not you here today, I want to say two things. Number one, I'm so thankful you're here and it's not by accident that you're here. The Lord has brought you. Don't reject him. And secondly, 
I'm going to ask that you just, when the elements get passed by in a few moments, you just let them pass by you. Just let them quietly go by. And then we would love to talk with you at the front or maybe to your neighbor about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that can start today. And as we pass these elements around, make sure you take two cups and hang on to them and we will take them all together. Let's examine our hearts. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, do this in remembrance of me. The body of Christ, broken for us. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The blood of Christ poured for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you that salvation that you have made a way for by sending your only son, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the word of God himself, the creator of all things. Thank you that you have made it possible for salvation to be a gift to be received. 
and not a reward to be achieved. Oh, Lord, I would fall short so many times a day. Thank you for your love. I pray right now, as we sing and respond, that we would declare, God, you are so good. You are so good. And Father, that with deep gratitude, Father, we would leave this place saying, Lord gave his life for me. He gave his life for me. Lord Jesus, hear our response in Jesus' name.